0: We are in a series in 1 Thessalonians uh, and we are now in chapter 5. We are working through uh, 1 Thessalonians chapter 5 verses 12 through 15. We went through verse 12 last week and uh, 13 through 15 is what we're looking at this morning. Uh, Pat uh, Griever is usually looking for a title and sometimes uh, the title is the last thing on my mind, um, but uh, if you're looking for a title, there are several things. This whole this whole series is Grounded, Growing, and Glory. That is that it's a discipleship book, uh, 1 Thessalonians, uh, Paul's address to a young church and how to walk with God and being grounded in the doctrines, growing in those truths and serving the Lord. And then also looking forward to glory and having that impact on the believer's life uh, or what impact that should have on the believer's life being expounded. Uh, But then in this, as it is a discipleship book, it takes a particular uh, avenue in chapter 5. Chapter 4 and chapter chapter 5 reference the Lord's coming again and an awareness of the times and the seasons in the beginning of chapter 5. So an awareness of what God is doing, and yet, in that awareness, there is now a turn uh, from, the, from this truth that the Lord is coming back, and we should be aware of that, there is a turn to what now, and that what now is, uh, the title for the message is a little clearer to me after last Sunday's message, and this one as well, and I've given it this title underneath all that, your relationship with your pastor and your church. Now, it's not deep or profound, but it's what this subject matter covers in verses 12 through 15. So it's in discipleship, it's teaching these concepts, your relationship with your pastor, those servants among you, and your relationship with your church. And those are both, both very important uh, aspects of doctrine that do need to be taught. We're going to spend our time exploring those things together this morning. I said last week, out of messages that I preach, there are some that are more awkward to preach than others. Nevertheless, as a preacher of the doctrines of the Word of God, you don't pick and choose what you're going to preach. And for those that are visiting, I am not in this section of Scripture because I have chosen a topic to preach on today. We have landed at this point because we are working through First Thessalonians, and now coming to chapter 5, these doctrines are what we come upon. And as coming upon those doctrines, uh, I am Uh, working through verses 12 through 15, which first of all, deal with the relationship of a pastor to a church. Now, it's easier for me to talk about this with uh, laying the foundation for uh, not talking about my, particularly my presence here at the church, but the presence of any pastor that should be in this pulpit, whether it's me or in the days ahead when I'm no longer here, and God takes me away or calls me home or whatever he does, Uh, This is what God would have us to know about our relationship, particularly these Thessalonian believers, these young believers, what relationship should they have with their pastor. Verse 12 is what we looked at last week, and would you read it out loud with me? And we beseech you, brethren, to know them which labor among you and are over you in the Lord and admonish you. So in this one verse, much was said with a lot of cross-references to other passages that talk about the role of the pastor in the church. Now, it's being given as a teaching that the church needed to know. I believe it's true that in this passage, from what we can tell from the Thessalonian believers, that Paul, as is this situation here, is not addressing any particular uh, problem in the church. He's giving it, I believe, at least for this purpose, so that those believers would know how to have healthy relationship in the church. His experience as a pastor, his experience as one who's both started churches and pastored churches and grown churches, is an experience that he brings to this body to prepare them for how to have a healthy relationship, okay? And that message in discipleship is important for this platform and this teaching at Fellowship Baptist Church, as well as other churches, all churches across the world. So, verse 13, we pick up with this morning. So, what attitude should we have towards our pastors, elders, as they're called in some churches, those who are leading uh, the body of Christ as those who are under-shepherds of the Lord. What should our attitude be? There's strong language given in verse 13, and the strong language uh, we see in our English where we see these words, esteem and very highly. So the admonition is to, and to esteem them very highly and love for their work's sake, and be at peace among yourselves. The word esteem them very highly. These words together are Hooper ex perosis. And it is the idea, Hooper is where we get the word hyper. And it is an e- elevated expression uh, where we get the sense of very. So, very highly is to hold them in the highest regard, it is to afford a respect to the office. It is to have a, a value upon that role as a role that has been established by God. Now, we haven't taken the time in particular this morning to go back to Ephesians chapter 4. But Ephesians chapter 4 is a passage we go to often that lays out, again, the gift of, uh, that God has given to the church, and there are many. But one of those is pastors or teachers and those who are instructing uh, the Word of God Amongst the assembly, so I do not pretend um, for any moment uh, that this isn't given uh, without, or that this is given with the idea that this will be challenging at times. Now, I really don't want to raise a a hands here, but um, I wonder over how many of us have had uh, difficult experiences with our pastors. I don't want to see any hands. but I imagine if we were to raise our hands this morning saying, I've had a difficult time with a pastor in the past, probably most hands would go up. And let me say it this way, if your hand doesn't go up, yet it may in the future. Um, I often muse over this, and it is what it is. It is what it is. I, I know that some, sometimes people make statements about pastors, and I've heard statements like, well, you know... You know what do you think about that pastor or that pastor? And, and you know, hear statements like this. Well, well, nobody's perfect, and uh, and and there's truth in that. We mentioned last week that pastors are sinners too, saved by grace, and uh, they are simply the servants of the Lord. I do recognize. Uh, I appreciate. I mentioned this last week, and I don't mention it any with any particular application to you. Like I said, this isn't a message where I'm, we talked last week about what do you call the pastor and, and uh, oh, thou most holy reverend or whatever, I don't know. But um, I, re- I appreciated that when I was a young pastor, uh, my first interim, and we did it here with uh, Pastor Brandon Teske, it was his first intern, he was 19 years of age And people were like, it's so awkward to call him pastor. But I had the experience of knowing the value of having that title spoken to you. Because my pastor, uh, when I first started the ministry, he wanted to continually remind me of the office I was holding. And that continual reminder was not really so much for God's people. But it was for me to rise to the occasion of my calling. To remember who I am. And not to treat it lightly, not to treat it as a novice or disrespectful or, or as no big deal. But to treat it with respect. And, and by the way, I, I know this, I could go off into the weeds and everybody could get distracted by this application and that application. Uh, but I'm simply saying, uh, I do believe it's healthy for a church to have a, a high view of the role of pastor. And can I say it this way? It's important for the pastor to have that respect for the office as well. Now, this does not, again, mean in any way that the pastor is more important than anybody else. But it, remem- it reminds us of this truth. God is the one who's established the church, and God who is the one who has established the role of pastor. And let me ask you this. Do you think pastors need your prayers? Do you think pastors need your help? That was a little less adamant. Yes. Now, forgive me. I'm going to use. I'll use myself and Pastor Phil for a moment. There, before Pastor Phil ever came here, and I, I'm pretty positive he's aware of all these things. We spoke in depth about all this stuff. And he knows the flavor of discipleship that we have. And as his first full-time ministry, it was important for me to say to our assembly, he is here as a pastor, another term for that would be elder, but we hold pastor. Um, he would be discipling and working with our people to grow them in the word of God. But our people are discipling him as well. And you're discipling me as well. We are mutually growing together. And that's an important truth to know. However, I know, as, and, and I value that, and, and those who are here longer understand this more. There are times when people will come to me and they'll say something about the ministry. Oh, they need to do this or somebody needs to. And, and there's sometimes a view of ministry As if if there is this hierarchy that those that are in leadership are getting it done. But the truth is, the biblical model of leadership is leadership leadership works in partnership with God's people to accomplish ministry for the glory of God. And much, as we said last week, much of the ministry that happens here happens because God's people have come to us and said, I would like to, or I've got a burden on my heart or pastor, there's a need. Some of you have become so savvy in understanding the nature of our church that you don't come to me telling me anymore, hey pastor, somebody needs to, because when I hear somebody needs to, it may be that God has led you with an awareness of a particular need. And maybe it's you that needs to. And it is, it is true, now listen, it doesn't matter who's in this role as far as what we can do. If you were to p- be in this position, There's only so much you can do. There's only so much any individual can do. That being said, I do recognize the responsibility of this office. The responsibility of this role is to be accountable to God for the direction of this church as regards the scriptures and how we live out the great commission and the glory of God in this assembly in this time. To which this office is held accountable. Held accountable as giving an account to God for how we have held this office. That, that's the reason. There are qualifications behind being in this position. That being said, the esteeming very highly, to hold in high regard, to give respect to it, is a particular admonition that Paul gives so that these Thessalonians will understand the relationship that they have with their pastor and adjust their mentality to be exactly this. Now, will this be challenged? Yes, it will be. Yet the admonition is there. And uh, I would just simply note that it's a two-way street uh, the two-way street is that pastors, I, and I grieve over this, and I don't want to be one, and I, I grieve any time I am a, 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 an issue or I get in the way. But I know that many times this office is held with a great deal of power-wielding authority. And uh, it's our hope that that's not true of this pulpit or this place. Um, I personally believe that many churches that are small Um, are small by nature because the pastor wields such authority that he won't let the church breathe or minister or serve without him being in charge of it all. And that is naturally self-limiting. That being the case, I would simply say this. Listen, we work in partnership. Our partnership is this. If there's something on your heart and mind, the best place to go with that is to the pastor. Now, does everybody do this well? Does everybody does everybody do this well? Does everybody hold the office of the pastor in high regard? Is it sometimes easy to say bad things about the leadership of a church? One way of referencing that is, have you ever had it happen? I I remember and <laughs> I remember some circumstances, I'm gonna refrain from giving them where people didn't know I was in the room and could hear them, and they were saying things about, they wish the pastor would, they wish the pastor would, and one of the people said, well, he's right there, and they went, oh. you know, and, uh, but, but, you know, the thing is, look, we, we all are deficient, we all have our limitations, and we are in a partnership together. And one of the protections that God gives to his church is how we handle difficulties. And one of the problems that the church can experience is for whatever reason, you pick your problem, somebody gets out of sorts with their pastor and they decide to just simply let it go. And live with the spirit of not highly valuing That office, and by the way, that office means upon that person. The admonition here is to correct that. The admonition is to not let that happen. And listen, not because you are lifting up that man. Please hear this. It's because you are protecting God's church. Hello? We want to see the church struggle, it will be in circumstances where somebody's got some problem. And by the way, when somebody has a problem with somebody else, where does it typically go? It typically doesn't go to the person, it goes to somebody else, right? And when we do that, we are not loving each other and we can't fool ourselves as to say that we're loving the Lord either. We're choosing purposely to let division set in, bad feelings set in, and now live with this as the new normal. So let me ask you, do any of you want to live with the new normal of COVID? Don't you want to see it go away? I would submit to you that many people are living with the new normal of a bad attitude towards their relationship with the pastor and letting it ride within the church. And what suffers The glory of God, the work of God, the ministry suffers because we're not right with God or each other. Now, it is up to the pastor and his responsibility, so don't don't misunderstand me. In this passage, I see my responsibility to live up to the office, to try to give honor to this position. And by the way, the best way to give honor to this this position is to lift up Jesus Christ, to lift up the word of God, and try to live a life that matches what you are preaching. So it is the pastor's responsibility to do so, but it's God's people that are being challenged in this verse to hold that position and that regard. Now, it says to esteem them very highly In love. Now, let me say this about that. Esteeming this office isn't such a duty when love is the basis of the relationship. Esteeming this office isn't a hard thing when we love each other. If love is there, holding that office in high regard is easy. It is. Now listen, this is hard, but I'm going to tell you, if there's a problem in esteeming that person in the pulpit, it is really born out of a problem of love. And there's a decision that has to be made. So I asked a question last week, I ask it often, Um, and that is this. When you stand before God when it comes to various truths of the Bible, don't you want to have been right over the position you had? Don't you really w- hope that when you stand before God that, that you got that right? Especially when there are all these differences of opinion on different things. Don't you want to be right? I think we all do. But this passage is lifting up this thought. Don't we want to be right regarding each other? Don't we want to have the right relationship within the body? So listen carefully. Whatever church you go to, and and by the way, I don't think this this is number restrictive. I don't care if it's a church of 30, a church of 3,000, a church of 13. You know, wherever we find ourselves in a church, we want to be in a good relationship with our pastor, right? Now, 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 I know I'm pastor, and I'm talking, by the way, nobody said amen on that. Um, maybe you did. But I am not always going to be in the pastoral role. There's going to come a day when I will not be able to do what I'm doing if, if the Lord tarries. And I'm going to be in a position, and by the way, aren't we blessed to have many retired pastors here? We have a good number of men who've been in full-time ministry and And now they are a part of this church as lay people. I, if God tarries, will be in that position as well. And this applies to me too. That I want to hold this position in high regard and and esteem them in love. In other words, I want to be in a church where I love my pastor. I want to be in a church where I have a good relationship with my pastor. Now what makes that hard? Differences of opinion, differences of administration, differences of this and that. But let me ask you, does this admonition go away because we have differences of opinion? It's still there. So we are to esteem them very highly in love, and it goes on to say, for their work's sake. For their work's sake. Now, this work is rooted in, founded in really two major aspects, maybe three. One, it's rooted in Christ. He's the one who's established the church. He's the one that's established the position of a pastor. It's rooted in the Great Commission. It's rooted in carrying out the ministry of the work of God. It's rooted in carrying out The furtherance of the truths of God, the doctrines of God. That's what this work is about. Now, do pastors ruin their work by the way they live sometimes? Well, I don't like it, but I will tell you this. It's not regional, it's global, and it's almost anywhere you go, you will hear of some story where a pastor did something bad in a church. It's not hard to guess what your attitude would be towards that in this pulpit. You do not want this pulpit disgraced. Amen. You do not want this pulpit hurt uh, to cast a shadow on this ministry. But more important than this ministry, we don't want to cast a shadow on the name of Christ. This has been a prayer of mine ever since I started ministry. The ministry prayer that I have had has Lord has been, Lord, if for any reason I'm ever going to bring disgrace on your work, take me out of it. Get me out of it. Don't let me bring disgrace on your name. It is devastating for a church when that happens. We are to rally around Christ. We are to rally around the work of God and rally around the great commission all for his glory For Their work's sake, a good comparative, a good passage to go to to understand the nature of this, is to know that Paul struggled with churches that did not behave well. Can anybody think of a church that didn't really behave well that Paul had to admonish? Anybody have one come to mind? Yes, it is the Corinthian church, and we spent a few weeks in Corinth, Corinthians, (laughs) Corinth. We spent a few weeks, uh, months, in Corinthians, 1 Corinthians. Let's take a moment to go to 1 Corinthians chapter 3. 1 Corinthians chapter 3. And it's going to lead into the next statement in our 1 Thessalonians chapter 5 and verse 13. But uh, 1 Corinthians chapter 3, verses 1 through 11, 1 Corinthians chapter 3, verses 1 through 11 We read of some of the problems that Paul was having in the church, and we read of his ministry, okay? 1 Corinthians 3, verse one, and I, brethren, could not speak unto you as unto spiritual, but as unto what? Now, that's not a good thing, right? That's carnal. Even as unto what? Babes in Christ, and that is not a, even though babies are a wonderful, cuddly thing, this is not a happy admonition or a happy reflection, Because what should have been there? What should have been there is maturity. Maturity in Christ. I have fed you, verse 2, with milk and not with meat. For hitherto you were not able to bear it, neither yet now are you able. By the way, imagine me saying to you, listen right here with me, imagine me saying to you, I could not give you the word of God because you would not receive it. I could not teach you the deeper things of God because you were acting as babies. Imagine me having that tone to this assembly. Would you receive it? Many people would say, hey, I don't, I'm not ever going back to that place. I am not going to have a pastor disrespecting me and telling me what to do. That is the attitude of many. Paul has to take very strong measures to correct bad attitudes in the church, verse three, he says, for ye are yet carnal, for whereas there is among you, and he names their problems. There is envying, and strife, and divisions. Are ye, not yet, are ye not carnal, and walk as men? For while one saith, I am a Paul, and another, I am of Apollos, are ye not carnal? And now he tells about the ministry he is in. Who then is Paul? Now, by the way, I don't pretend to be a Paul." But I do know that I hold this office, and I would add to this, who is Jeff? Who is Phil? Who are our other retired pastors? Who are they? And who is Apollos? But ministers, by whom ye believed, even as the Lord gave to every man. I have planted, Apollos watered, but God gave the increase. So then neither is he that planteth, what? Any Neither he that watereth, but God that giveth the increase. Now, I'm going to take a time out here and say this. Kathy, we talked a little bit about ministry in California. And I, I said this in our Sunday schools by the nature and design of God, that Sunday school, membership class, and Sunday morning are all dealing with the same theme. But I had someone come here recently and said that it was refreshing to be in this service because they couldn't preach like this where they were. And I asked myself, how in the world can that be? Now, don't don't misunderstand me. There is no delusional, self-aggrandizing, self-inflating But your pastor needs to share the word of God without respect to what anybody else is going to say or do. And this is what I would say. Now, Kathy was saying that there are pastors who are going to their pulpits and their whole message is an illustration about cars or their whole message is a story about this or the other thing. I'm gonna tell you the confidence that I have to come to this pulpit every Sunday. And we joke about how long I take to say it. Why is it that I can come to this pulpit every Sunday and have something to say? It's because of the word of God. And there's no delusion here. There's no delusion over boy, I come to fellowship because my pastor does a really great job. I know why you come. You come to hear the word of God. I'm going to tell you something. It blesses me just like it blesses you that we may be on one verse, and we may only cover one verse, but we open our Bibles. Amen? We open our Bibles, we look to the scriptures, we, we lift up the scriptures, and we order ourselves according to the word of God, to the best of our ability, still being sinners and needing God's grace, but clinging hard to the truths of the word of God. So then it says here, I have planted a, pile, a water, but God gave the increase. So then neither is he that planteth anything, neither he that watereth, but God that gives the increase. Now, verse 8, he that planteth and he that watereth are one, And every man shall receive his own reward according to his own labor. For we are laborers together with God. Ye are God's husbandry. Ye are God's building. According to the grace of God which is given unto me. As a wise master builder I have laid the foundation and another buildeth thereon. But let every man take heed how he buildeth thereupon. For other foundation can no man lay then that is laid which is, say it with me, Jesus Christ. We esteem this office highly for their work's sake, and their work's sake is the glory of God, his service, as we are laborers together. Now, the importance again, and I know we're on this one verse, but the importance of this comes at the end of 1 Thessalonians 5, verse 13. So go back there and you'll see that last phrase. The phrase, phrase says, and be at peace among yourselves. Paul, as you just read in 1 Corinthians 3, had trouble with the Corinthian church. Now, I have my son-in-law, Dakota, here. He comes from a pastor's family. Did you ever hear of your dad having trouble with people in the church? He says all the time that he comes from a town of 500. He didn't tell you that all the trouble he had was his three boys. No, I I won't say that. Uh, I said in in my Sunday school class that the first ministry I worked in full-time, my pastor told me one of the first things I heard in ministry One of the first things I heard in ministry from him is, I spend all my time putting out fires. I spend all my time running over here to stomp that fire out because that person's upset. I spend my time over here, now I gotta run over here because that person's upset because I did this or I did that, And, and again, I'm gonna tell you, now listen folks, every man in ministry had better get it settled that he's serving the Lord And it's the Lord's approval he's after, but I am telling you, many men have left the ministry because they've just gotten beat up and beat up and beat up and beat up, and and they said, Fine, I'm done. Now, I'm not saying that's right. You better serve where God has given you to serve, whatever the circumstances. But there's a partnership that has an effect. And recognize that when we tear down this office that we're hurting God's church and we are bound in love to be right with each other no matter what is going on. Now I'm not saying we excuse bad doctrine, that we don't correct bad doctrine. But all of us need to cling to the Lord, love each other and partner together for the work of God. Now, he says to be at peace among yourselves. And what you're reading by implication is not an arbitrary be at peace among yourselves as if it was disconnected from the previous statements. It seems to imply, from what I see here anyway, it seems to imply that the breaking of peace is centered on how we have this relationship with our pastor. Now, I'm going to tell you, again, I am sure there are times when I've been hard to deal with, and to that, I am always grievous and sorry for it and want to make sure that we have right relationships. But I will say, I've been on the other side. I've had pastors that have been hard to work with. It doesn't mean I get to take my Bible and say, Pfft. You know, I don't like what the pastor did to me. Who's willing to listen? Come hear what he did. Come hear what he did. And it also does not give the pastor a pass that he can do anything he wants because you better respect me. Right? There are qualifications. But this church, every church, who knows the word of God and has this discipleship, happening in that body knows that we are going to protect this relationship. Let me tell you something, all right? Here's where it is. This is the honesty of it for me. If I was in a church where I didn't love my pastor, I would have to do one of two things. I would have to say, "What in what way can I build a relationship with my pastor where we are partners? I do not want to be in a church where I'm sitting under some man's preaching that I don't respect and we don't love each other. So the first step that I would have is to say, what can I do to reach into my pastor's life so that we love each other? Now, you can only control you, right? What if you're in a church where you've tried to do that and the pastor will not love you back? The pastor will not care about you Matter of fact, he's made it quite evident. I've heard pastors do this. I've heard pastors say, there's the door. I believe they'll give an account for that kind of an attitude. But what happens in that case? I'm going to tell you, I think you need to find a church where you will love your pastor and your pastor will love you, and maybe God will lead you to start a church. But what not? What is? Excuse me. What is not to be tolerated? Is the ongoing spirit of disrespecting each other. And again, it goes two ways. This admonition happens to be for the church. Now, I read this. I read this last week. But this was what Bible knowledge commentary said at the end of the commentary over verse thirteen. It says, "Much dissension in the modern churches." Is traceable to church members disobeying these commands. So you've heard me already say that I have prayed in the past, Lord, if I'm going to disgrace your ministry, take me out of that position. I've also, in my heart, because I have been around a pastor, by the way, that pastor that I told you who was all the time going around putting out fires, he resigned the ministry in conflict. And it was ugly. Any of you ever been a part of an ugly business meeting? He resigned. I tried to talk him out of it. I tried to say, Pastor, you don't need to do that. We need, what we need to do is let's all get right with each other. <laughs> let's, all, let's all work on getting right with each other. But you know, he had been... He'd he'd put out too many fires and he was exhausted. He he gave up. And I I love the man. He's still ministering today. I, I grieve over that happening to him. What happens is the church is hurt in the process. And that can happen here. It can happen anywhere. I've asked God to help me not be that person where my pastor had to come and put out my fire. Had to put out my fire over here, and my fire over here, and my fire over here, to be someone in in his church that would build for peace because we loved each other. Verse 14 takes a turn. and verse 14, now removes itself from the conversation about verses 12 and 13, and now gives four exhortations for every believer within the assembly. Okay? Now we exhort you, speaking to the Thessalonian church, we exhort you, brethren, believers, to do these things. There are four. War, number one is to warn them that are unruly. Now some key words in, in here, warn, is this. is this. To put in mind. It has a sense of reminding someone of good behavior. Reminding someone of what we're supposed to be. It has, in the word, warn, to raise a caution. And it even has the idea of reproving. Now, who is doing this? Who's this admonition to? Is it to the pastor? Or is it to the believer in the church? Not that the pastor is not a believer in the church, okay? This is particularly given to the assembly. And he says, warn them, put in mind, caution, and reprove those that are unruly. Now, unruly is a very specific word, and it has several nuances to it. Uh, one is a nuance of being idle, Uh, someone who is not about the business they're supposed to be, but it really has more of the idea of someone who is insubordinate, someone that we would say is out of line. Their disposition is out of sorts. They've drawn a line in the sand. I'm not going to be right on this, and I've got a, a, what's the phrase we often use, is I've got a burr under my saddle, and I'm glad to have it there. And it's flat out, 1 Corinthians three, it's carnality. And sometimes we take that into the church. And how deep can it go? I already, I have personal illustrations today that there are churches who are willing to be in a carnal mindset even to the destruction of the church. I'm willing to let this church go down as the mindset if I can't be in control. I'm willing to let this church go down if I don't get my way. Now, I'm going to tell you, there's any number of ways that we can be carnal and divisive in a church. There are churches that fight over all kinds of silly and crazy things. We've often heard of them. What, what is one of the major things you've heard churches splitting over? Well, I've heard them splitting over deciding on the color of the carpet. I've heard them splitting over whether there were curtains at the baptistry. I've heard them splitting over this and that issue. And by the way, God God does what God does and he can glorify his name even when churches don't behave well. But we don't want to do anything in our lives that are bringing damage to the church. And he is saying, look, there are times when people are going to be unruly, they're going to be out of line. And it's not necessarily simply your pastor's job to correct it, it is the laity. It is the believer within the church. It's the disciple maker in the body that says, this doesn't smell like Christ. This doesn't look like Jesus. This doesn't act like Jesus. I don't hear the love of Christ in this. I don't see the love of Christ in this. And let me, let me just clarify going back to the previous verse. The context so far has been your relationship to your pastor. Instead of going to someone else about a problem with your pastor, how about you set up a meeting with your pastor and you get right with each other? Amen? It's not always the pastor. Verse 14 following has a different disconnect. It can be applied to verses 12 and 13, but it is certainly, there are simply times when people become disorderly. And I can guarantee you as a pastor, I have dealt with it in the past. And the unruliness is... Typically, ha- someone having an opinion of doing things this way, and this person over here has an opinion of doing it this way, and I as a pastor have them both looking at me saying, which one are we going to do? With the, st- with the possibility of if I choose this, I've made them mad. If I choose this, I've made them mad. And listen, none of us ought to care about who gets glory because there's no glory to be had. We don't build the church. God does. God does. We mentioned in my Sunday school class today, it's it's miraculous that there's a church at all. I personally believe without the grace of God, without the Holy Spirit guiding his work, we would do everything that would destroy the work of God. But the testimony of the miraculous hand of God is that he is building his church and you are part of that. You are a protector of that assembly by warning the unruly, the insubordinate, the out of line that says, hey, you're not doing it the way I want it done, and you're wrong, and I'm right, and you either get it on my page or we're out of here. I, I am going to simply say that we really need to ask ourselves, when we come to stand before God, if our reasons for division were really Worthy of division. He goes on and he says, Number two, he says, Warn them that are unruly, comfort the feeble minded. Comfort, we understand pretty well. It is a sense of encouragement, raising up, lifting up, drawing near. Now, what is the feeble minded? Interesting words here. When you look up the definition of feeble minded, it has little spirited. The little spirited. It tends to identify with the spirit that is discouraged. You have come to this place today and you want to be encouraged. And the truth is, you know, this message is a message of exhortation, of teaching. The encouragement that happens today might happen after or before the service where you are one-on-one trying to encourage or lift up or build up another person in Christ. For those that are visitors here, it's why we have the fellowship time. The statement that we say is you can't minister well to people you don't know. So we try, we try, we try, we try to get to know each other. I can't tell you how many people I've said, well, I don't like big churches. I don't like to be around a lot of people. But listen, the calling of the church is to minister to people. Wherever we are, whatever the size of the church, minister to people. And I'm going to say that many times the reason we leave discouraged is because we came not doing this. Did you know that you may be the very person that somebody needed today? You, where you sit, you may be the very person that somebody needed today to encourage them. You you want to know a perfect way to leave discouraged? You've heard the illustration before. As someone who's new to a church, they want to see what that church is like. They come in, they fold their arms, and they say, I wonder if anybody's going to even try to bless me. I, read, I, I heard of a guy one time, he went into the church, and this is exactly what he did. He stood in the back, folded his arms, and he kind of had this attitude of, I wonder if anybody's even gonna try to bless me. And it's almost like a dare. And when he left, his testimony was, that church was so unfriendly, nobody ministered to me. All the while, he stood back there with a frown on his face that said, Keep away. Now, you may not be in that place, but let me say this, folks. One of the best ways to find encouragement, are you with me? One of the best ways to find encouragement is to encourage somebody else who's discouraged, which is also why there doesn't need to be any habit of life that says, I'm going to live in discouragement. Why? Christ needs to be victoriously living in your life so that you can be an encouragement to somebody else because other people need Christ in you just like you need Christ in others. I, I, I know that I need the encouragement of the body. It makes me happier to be around God's people who I know love me and are lifting me up, and you're no different. The feeble minded are those who are discouraged, little-spirited. The next admonition is to support the weak. Now, it has two admonitions, at least by many commentaries. The most obvious to me is those would be those that are sick. And by the way, I would just simply say this. The great equalizer in knowing our frame is pain or sickness. It is really difficult to be encouraged when you're dealing with constant pain. Can you be? Can you be encouraged even though you're dealing with constant pain? Can you? Can I tell a little story, Gary? Gary had to go on some medicine uh, this week. It says, first time he's had to be on medicine like that. I told him before the service, I said, Well, if this is the best message you ever heard, I'll know it's the medicine talking. Pain is pain. But I I told, one, uh, I told somebody last week, I often refer to her by name as Trish Trundy. When I was a hospice chaplain, she was in her 30s, had two kids, and had a cancer treatment that honeycombed her bones so that when she stretched her legs in bed, she broke both her legs just by stretching. She was on hospice. I came to visit her. Trish always had a smile on her face. Everybody had the same testimony. She knew the Lord. She was looking forward to seeing him. Everybody that came to see her left encouraged because of her. Let me say, folks, God's grace is sufficient. But anytime we start looking at ourselves and focusing in on ourselves and thinking about our needs, our needs, our needs, we just kind of dive down that hole recognize that we are to support those that are sick. We're to try to be mindful of them. But many would also argue that those who are weak would be those that are spiritually young, babies. Those that aren't able to walk on their own that need this teaching to help strengthen them in their walk with God. We are to support the weak. It says, "Lastly, in this list of four, to be patient toward all men." And I know you all wanted to hear that. You got a problem with some believer, and you're at your wits' end, and you say, "I've had it. I, I, I'm, I, I'm, I'm not going any further." And you're hearing this message this morning, and this message is saying, "Be patient towards all men." Let me say it differently. We need to be good at giving grace. We need to remember how we would want to be treated if we were in that state. I've often been a fan of saying this when people are out of sorts and people are doing bad things, we look at that and we we would say things like this that just doesn't make sense. Often, the reason it doesn't make sense to us is because we don't have the whole story. If we understood what was going in their lives, going on in their lives, we may not be able to excuse their behavior, but at least we would be able to understand it. And what happens is we're so cold-hearted about somebody else's need when they aren't behaving the way I want them to behave, instead of reaching in with the love of Christ and being understanding and being patient, we cut them off. <clears throat> Do you know what the definition of patience is? It's long-spirited. You know what it means? You're going to have to work really, really hard to run me to the end of my patience because I'm going to keep on loving you, loving you, loving you, loving you, loving you. Long-spirited. Our last verse and it's 12 o'clock is verse 15. See that none render evil for evil unto any man, but ever follow that which is good, both among yourselves and to all men. (coughs) Pardon me. How often we want to punish people with our manipulation. We want to punish people because they didn't perform to my expectation. Or we want to punish people because they did something that hurt my feelings. Do you see in verse 15 that the Lord does not allow for such an excuse? Are you with me? Are we together? The Lord does not allow for such an excuse. So, have you ever been treated badly by another believer? Come on, let's be real. Have you ever been treated badly by another believer? Where are you at with that today? Are you right? Are you right with the Lord about that today? We often get this disposition that it's okay for me not show the love of Christ now because look at what they did just to time out here and remember what did Jesus go through for you let me ask you were you a sparkling example of everything that a person ought to be when Christ saved you an even harder question have you been that since then Let's be real, now now think about this. It's one thing to do what we did outside of God when we didn't know him as our savior. It's another thing to think about what we've done since we've known him. So here's my question. Has God been gracious to you? Has God been patient with you? Hello, come on. Get with me. Has God been patient with you? Think about, all right, wives, think about it for your husband. Has God been patient with your husband? Is that easier to answer? Men, has God been patient with your wife? Kids, has God been patient with your parents? Parents, have your children challenged your patience? (laughs) Listen. What you hear in this is the big embrace of God. This is what Christians do. This is what Christians do. This is core discipleship. Core discipleship. But this is not warm fuzzy. This is mature stuff. And it's easy to preach it when there's not a problem. It's harder to live it when it's in your face. But God help us to live a discipled life where we are... Walking according to the scriptures that when the test comes, we are by nature and by habit walking with the Holy Spirit, so we respond in a way that looks like him. But make no mistake about it here this morning, every one of us has decisions to make to be this and to do this. Our last passage to coordinate with this verse 15 is Romans 12. So Romans 12, our last passage of the morning. See that none render evil for evil unto any man. And by the way, that any man went broader than the church. It was any man, any. It goes on to say, but ever follow that which is good, both among yourselves and to all. So if there's something we're going to follow, we're going to follow that which is good. We're going to strain at finding that which is good and doing that which is good. Romans 12:17 through 21. you got your Bibles there. I invite you to read out loud with me. Romans 12, 17 through 21, beginning with me now. Recompense to no man evil for evil. Provide things honest in the sight of all men. If it be possible, as much as lieth in you, live peaceably with all men. Dearly beloved, avenge not yourselves, but rather give place unto wrath, For it is written, vengeance is mine, I will repay, saith the Lord. Therefore, if thine enemy hunger, feed him. If he thirst, give him drink. For in so doing, thou shalt heap coals of fire on his head. Be not overcome of evil, but overcome evil with good. Read the last verse one more time. Be not overcome of evil, but overcome evil with good. This is what... Christ looks like. This is what his church is supposed to look like. The church is comprised of individual believers. And to that, it's an individual choice to have your heart worship him today and surrender. I don't know what bitterness or what anger or whatever else out there you might be holding on to, but it's time to get it settled and be right with God. I don't know if you've ever made decisions along these lines. Again, not the easiest message for me to preach dealing with this office, but let's, by the grace of God, make decisions that reflect his word. And understand that how we live out these truths affects the work of God, affects the ministry. And by God's grace, may you and I use this vapor of a life that we have to do something for the glory of God. To do something in the great commission to minister Christ and to build God's work. Humbly, we recognize that God has been patient with us. And in that long-spiritedness long of God towards us, thank the Lord that his patience is growing us. His patience is working in you. His patience is working in me. <clears throat> now, here's the good news, folks. Someday, we're all going to be like Jesus. Someday you will not have to look at me and see any of the vestiges of carnality. Someday we'll be able to look at each other and see each other as complete in Jesus, transformed into his image. Until that time, let's surrender, let's serve. And I'll just end with, let's grow to be like him.